We're at Quinnipiac Podcast Studios in Hamden, Connecticut. We're in studio with Dave DeRoche, our wonderful producer. Welcome to our second season. This is our insider series. You know, you've heard enough from me and Jen. Yeah, I think so. Now we want to talk to the people who actually experience special education. Whether you're a teacher or you're a student or someone who works in a related field, um, having anything to do with special education. And so we're in studio with Jack Nall, who is a 20-year-old student who has autism, and his mother, Shannon Nall, who is a kick-ass advocate, if I don't say so myself. (laughs) And we're going to open up the file on Jack and his road to independence. Julie, I can't imagine a better way to start this this series than with an actual student, right? We, we've been talking so much to each other about uh, the students that we work with, and we're really, really happy to have you here, Jack. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today, and Shannon as well. Thank we you for having really us. We really appreciate it. Sure. And so we're going to start with the facts, as we always do, okay? The facts are that Jack um, had an IEP in Connecticut. Um, an IEP is an individualized education program. That's the document that defines what services he was getting. And then moved in the middle of eighth grade to Wisconsin. And um, in that process, um, discovered a whole new system. So Jack and Shannon, why don't you tell us what happened when you moved? Let's start with eighth grade. What happened when we when you moved into your eighth grade year? The school district in Wisconsin was supposed to provide me with service with the services I had in Connecticut, but didn't. What did that result in for you? It How resulted did you in a lot of challenges for me. What were some of the things that you were getting in Connecticut that you didn't get in Wisconsin? Well, sensory breaks and a routine that I could follow. That's very important. Yes. And um, and I believe you were also getting extra time on tests. I was. Yeah, and that's something that they didn't honor yeah. in Wisconsin. Yeah. And so how did that go when, when you and your mom had to advocate for the changing that? Um, it was okay. But how did you struggle with that? I struggled with that significantly. In what way? Because I because I failed my first semester freshman year science class. And, w- and what about how your anxiety manifested itself? Yeah, it, it basically, my anxiety basically increased. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you just had to explain to a friend how different it was between Connecticut and Wisconsin, what would you say? I would say it's significantly different. It's not it it gets really cold in the winter but but <laughs> or do, educationally yeah <laughs> it does get Jack. really cold yeah i, I it sure does <laughs> I, I it's it's known for that i yes. guess actually yeah yes. i should have been shame on me i should have been more specific yes. in what way educationally as far as it related to your iep was it different in connecticut than when you moved to wisconsin well, it was different because uh, no one would follow my IEP and I didn't have a specific schedule and routine. And what did that result in? Like, were thing, did things run smoothly or did No. It... In fact, they ran the exact opposite of smoothly. Yeah. And how did that, what happened, what were some of the things that you went through as a result? I was swearing a lot in school, 
I was yelling and crying and having outbursts. Yeah, and that couldn't have felt good to you. Like you It wasn't. Yeah. I I would never I I would never reveal that side of me today. Yeah. And and that, you know, that's really hard. You're moving to a new school, you've got trying to make new friends and then yes. you're you're not given the support you need and then that's resulting in you getting overwhelmed and frustrated and and then I'm sure engaging in things that later you regretted, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, Shannon, how did you deal with it when you, I'm sure it became pretty quickly um, apparent to you that they weren't following his IEP? Um, yes. And, you know, in our first our first meeting with the IEP team, um, the there was, again, as Jack mentioned, there were certain things in his IEP that the school district just said, well, we don't have those services, so we, we're not going to do it. For instance, he had um, a BCBA, a board-certified behavior analyst, um, as part of his IEP, and there were no BCBAs, um, certainly not on staff in the school district, but really at all. So um, they just didn't do it. Um, he also had extended school year in his um, IEP, and there was an extended school year, so they just didn't do it. Um, so that was extremely challenging. Because it was. Yes, it well, was. And, you know, if I could just say something here, I don't think Wisconsin knew what was coming at him. Because uh, what I need to brag a little bit about Shannon here for a moment is, you know, she obviously was originally from Connecticut. And here in Connecticut, if you're um, anyone who has a child with an autism spectrum disorder, um, like I am, um, Shannon was a ho- is a household name here in Connecticut in in the autism community because you're very in, you were very involved in um, autism speaks and largely involved in um, many important pieces of legislation that you helped um, lead here in Connecticut and so you're an you're an awesome advocate, which is why I she inter- really is yeah, yes which is why I introduced your mother as a kick ass mother yes because you know she makes things happen and so they didn't know it was coming did they thank you mom oh (laughs) um no it was quite a you know it it was quite a different experience for me too because i'm um i've educated myself on on what the laws are and what jack's rights are and so to be speaking to a group of people who really didn't understand or didn't maybe acknowledge might be the better choice of words, didn't acknowledge that um, what their obligations were was extremely challenging for me and very frustrating. And you feel very helpless, I think, when um, put in that situation. I I would, you know, I often say that it it, it feels like you're being gaslighted, right? Because you, these are federal laws. And then when somebody looks at you in all honesty and w- very nicely, I'm sure, because I hear people are very nice in Wisconsin, um, more polite than most, and basically just say, yeah, well, we don't have to do that or we don't have that here, it's, it's I, I, I would imagine you would just want to throw yourself out a window. I, yes. I, there were frequent meetings where, you know, I, I left and I would just shake my head. Actually, I probably shook my head in the meetings, too, because, you know, you reach a point where you, you just can't take it anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's and that's really when you get to the level where you know more about the school district's obligations than the school district. Correct. That's very 
frustrating because, look, you know, even when I go to meetings sometimes and when I go to a meeting, the school district's lawyer is there. And I still will hear out of the mouths of, of educators, well-meeting educators, statements about what they're required to do and what they're not required to do that are flatly illegal, mm-hmm. clearly, provably illegal. And it's frustrating. And I can see their attorney's face sometimes getting paler or redder, depending on the lawyer, um, because, you know, one of the biggest things that has to be done much better is educating the educators on on these these rights, particularly regular educators, those who are not special education teachers or speech pathologists, but those who are just quote unquote mainstream teachers because they have the least amount of training and knowledge of the IDEA and their obligations under them. Right. I I think it was also sort of, um, you know, with everything with, with autism and with disability, time is not our friend. So every time a service is denied it is time wasted and uh, you know time lost on an opportunity to um better a person's life or better their opportunity for the road to independence yes right right and you know jack um speaking about your road to independence one of the things that you know we want in special education for all students who have disabilities is to be able to advocate for themselves yes. right that's a big that's piece of that's true right and so were you attending your own IEP meetings yes and did you speak at them did were there anything that you know that comes to your mind on how you participated in those well i it felt good to advocate for myself and attend an IEP meeting just to see what it was like. But you were also given, well, we framed it. Yes. So that you were given the opportunity. To advocate for myself. Correct. At the beginning of the meeting to share your input on maybe particular items of interest. Yeah. Such as transitioning or what your goals were for post-secondary education. No, we don't ask the students enough what does and doesn't work for them. You know, a lot of adults sit around a table all <laughs> and, and talk about what would work. What really worked for you and what really didn't work for you in terms of your special education services? Do you, can you think of anything? You mentioned a speech pathologist. But yes, that worked definitely. She got it. Though. Yeah, she, she totally got me. She understood me. She did. We all need people who understand us, and that's just so very important. And so why... I'd even go as far as saying she had my back. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) She did. Jack, you told us that you worked out a a roadmap with your speech and language pathologist. What what were the goals? What was the roadmap about? So the roadmap was going... was the point from freshman year of high school to... after graduation, I wanted to pursue a college education. That's a huge thing. And you're pursuing that right now, yes. right? Yep. And what were the other goals? What else were you trying to achieve? I want to drive and live on my own eventually. Those are both really important things. Yes. Um, why is driving so important to you? Because I want to be able to go places by myself whenever I wanted to. And what kind of a job would you like to have? Was that I'm, on your roadmap? Yes, yes. I'm going. I'm planning to go into education. Well, let me tell you something. If you were my teacher, I'd be one lucky student. Yes. Yeah. Good for you, Jack. Any kind of particular education? I'm thinking maybe elementary or the arts. 
Good for you. That would be great. And do you think that you would be more understanding for students who have IEPs because of your experience? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really great quality in a teacher, yeah. as someone who's been through it. And right? I know you you participate a lot in the theater. Yes. Yeah. So you like the theater? Yes. Yeah. Musical theater? That's my favorite. Yeah. Okay. You're a thespian. Yep. Wow. And recently, and I'm gonna be in working performed by Simsbury Summer Theater. Nice. What what part is uh, do you have in the play? I am the I am a soloist a singer in the Mason, in the Stonemason number. How cool. So make sure you get your tickets now at simsburysummertheater.org. Perfect plug for it. Perfect. I you love sure it. you don't want to go into marketing? I know. <laughs> Positive. Okay. <laughs> so, Jack, I, I, you know, it's so important that you shared all of this with us because we're calling this segment Jack and His Road to Independence, yes. right? And in in special education, the IDEA is very clear. I mean, the whole purpose of the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, is to prepare our students for adulthood, yes. to have the skills to be employed, to go on to post-secondary education or training, and if appropriate, independent living. Of course. So you sound like you have a really solid roadmap to your future. Yes. And you're on a fabulous path. I am. <laughs> Good for you. And your mom's been, uh, she been like a- helping you advocate or? She, she really has been. Yeah. You're very lucky. I am. <laughs> okay. And so let's just, uh, let's go right to the law now, Jen. One of the things that people really don't understand about IEPs and about accommodations and about disabilities is that treating everyone the same is not always fair, right? Yes. Um, And people always think, Fairness is same treatment, but it's not. Um, what fair? It, what is fair is what somebody needs and requires. Yes. And so it's interesting. There have actually been studies about um, extra time for tests mm-hmm. that students who do not have disabilities there is no improvement in their scores if they have more time. But yes. students who do have disabilities, it's, it's a dramatic difference. And a lot of people think it's quote unquote unfair for someone to get extra time on tests, um, including unfortunately some some teachers sometimes think that. But in fact. It's, it's the law. <laughs> it's required. Yes. And it's also what's fair. It's what's right. It's because it's what you need. Um, it's to level the playing field between you and a student who can take a test without extra time and perform at that level. And so um, this is not uncommon that, that I, I see this actually all the time in, in high school, at in particular in high school, competitive high schools, where um, the regular ed teachers are resistant to following children's and students' IEPs because they th- perceive it as unfair, which it isn't. And that's really on all of us to try to educate the larger community as to what is fair as opposed to what is the same. Um, and so I need, for example, I need a stool in my closet because I'm very short and I need a stool, but other people might not. And so I need it. And if I need it, I should have it. And that's, that's the whole crux of the idea. And those are actually what are called, both of those things are accommodations. Yes. Taking a sensory break is an accommodation, and also having extra time on a test is an accommodation. Yes. And that's to make sure that we don't discriminate against people who have different needs. Okay. And so it's not okay that somebody wasn't wanting to provide you that accommodation. And so... Shannon, can you talk about how you handled that? Well, I think 
to really set the scene appropriately that um, we should back up into when we actually moved so our okay. first you know IEP back it up sister back it up um, <laughs> we you know our first meeting with the IEP team in the middle school that um, Jack was going into um, was uh, sort of a um, I don't I don't have words for what actually happened but that bad? The, the, it was it was not good and um, the what what basically was said is that they did not have the service providers needed to implement his IEP. Mm-hmm. So he had um, a BCBA on his A board IEP. certified behavior analyst for those of you who need that translation. Yes. Um, in his IEP. And there were no BCBAs in the school district oh, or wow. employed by the school district. Oh. So there was no, their solution to that was, well, we're just not going to do it. Oh. And um, <laughs> exactly. that's exactly right, Jack. Uh, for those of you who uh, obviously no one can see us, Jack just did the big thumbs up, th- thumbs, thumbs down, down sign. <laughs> yeah. Good for you, Jack. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. So, um, you know, long story short, there were several pieces of the IEP that, you know, they did not have the resources to provide and so they just didn't do it so i um and can i just interrupt you for one second shannon what they didn't know is that they were receiving a mother who was very seasoned already in connecticut at advocating for her son yes (laughs) so i'm sure they didn't see it coming no they did (laughs) not and um you know, I became more seasoned as a result of, of my time in uh, in Wisconsin. And that at- you did. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah. Um, Thumbs up from Jack on that one. And if I could just say a little something about you, Sh- uh, Shannon. You know, when you were in Connecticut, Shannon had become a household name um, in those of us who live in the world of autism, like I also do. Um, as many of you know, I have a son who has autism. And you were a household name because you, the advocacy that you did on behalf of students here in Connecticut and all of your work with Autism Speaks and very important legislation that you were, you know, took charge of here in Connecticut. So um, this is why I introduced her as a kick-ass mother. But go ahead, Shannon. (laughs) I'm I'm just imagining the team in Wisconsin. That's why I'm smiling. (laughs) Well, yes, it was... um it was an experience, and I think you know there were so many things that were were different um, about the whole experience. I mean, I I grew up in New England, first of all, so I I don't mince words. Yeah, and um, that is not the Midwestern way. Right. <laughs> so there was a an initial you know sort of culture struggle there, but um, I did end up. Um, filing about six or seven complaints with the State Department of Education um, about their failure to implement the IEP, and the state decided that I was correct, and um, we received compensatory services and um, significant um, a significant turnaround in the in the way that we um, operated with our IEP team moving forward and at all of our meetings past that the director of special education was there (laughs) yeah um so the dynamic definitely changed but you know i say this often if if i hadn't known what the law was Uh or is we would have ended up in an in a completely different scenario 
Oh, sure. For sure. And, and you know, the, the response, we can't do it, is really, unfortunately, not an acceptable response. And, and look, we are all human. There are times where the speech pathologist leaves the district and goes on maternity leave or goes to another state and they don't have a speech pathologist mm-hmm. or they simply can't find a board certified behavior analyst. It, it happens. Mm-hmm. When it happens, what a school district is required to do is try to find somebody to replace that person so they can comply with the IEP. And if they can't, then the appropriate remedy is what happened, which is you get what is called compensatory education. Compensatory education under the law is, um, it's a very interesting topic from a lawyer's perspective in that um, unlike other areas of the law, the IDEA doesn't really have damages, okay? So it's not like when you, you know, have a car accident and somebody sues for damages. It doesn't work that way. What you are entitled to as a remedy is service. Services, uh, educational services. And when you've missed educational services, you're entitled to get them back. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so that's why, what it sounds like happened. And so tell us a little bit more about once things got better for you, Jack, um, after they finally were required to follow the law because your mother fought for you. Um, tell us what happened after things got a little better. Well, first of all, I started to gain more confidence in myself. And I started, and as a result, I applied myself more. And, and yeah. And what what did you find out in applying yourself? I found out that I am more, more capable of doing stuff than I was before. That's fantastic. And so did you then transition to high school in, in Wisconsin? Yes. And that went well? Um, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about it. Well, freshman year was a little tough. Tough in what way? Because my science teacher wouldn't follow my IEP. Right. So you were, you ended up failing? First semester. And I had to retake it. That's really, that must have been very, very difficult. Yes, and I almost didn't graduate from high school with my class. Because of of having to take the the class again? Yeah. So that must have given you some anxiety. Yes. Right? And I know that you're a very capable student, so that must have been really frustrating. Yeah, but this time, but the second time around I got an A and I still graduated with my class. Good for you. Good right, and you. so Jack, you're a student um, in a transition in those transition years, um, and here in Connecticut, that's between 18 and 22 years yes. old. So you're participating in a in a transition program, so to speak. Sure am. You know, good. <laughs> so what I wanted to bring to everyone's attention is when you say you graduated, and I'm using air quotes. You graduated, you walked with your class, yes, but you did not receive your diploma, which you will get at some point when you finally do exit special education, yes. and you're continuing to receive services here in Connecticut. Yep. How, how's that going? Good, good. It's going much better than I anticipated, than it would have gone in Wisconsin. Yeah, so your, your mother was telling us that um, Wisconsin really didn't, have transition services. Shannon? Um, No, in fact, when we brought up transition services, there was kind of a a hush fell over the crowd because... There's a hush (laughs) all over the world. Nobody knew what to do with that. (laughs) And there was sort of a kerfluffle also. I I know, that's a good word, isn't it? a great word. Um, 
and they had to get back to me. Oh dear. <gasps> oh, that's not good. <laughs> so let me let me just jump in here on a couple of things. What is astounding to me after almost 25 years of practicing in this field is that even though this is a federal mandate and every state and territory must comply with the IDA, the variability from state to state, even from school district to school district Absolutely. within a state, mm-hmm. is massive. Mm-hmm. And it's it's upsetting because um, it shouldn't be so. It shouldn't be that your entitlement to an appropriate program varies so dramatically um, from where you live. But that is, that is unfortunately reality. And some communities are more um, accustomed to parents advocating for their rights than others. And we unfortunately do have states where there are no attorneys doing what I do um, or advocates doing what you, Shannon, now do and what Julie does. And um, so parents don't have the same ability to hold the school district accountable. Now, Shannon knew what to do. She knew to file a complaint with the state. And thankfully, that that turned out in a positive way. But what I want to note, and it's very important, is transition services. Julie and I have seen a huge evolution in transition services over the years because they are required for all students. But for years, school districts only thought of transition services, and we still unfortunately sometimes hear it, as uh, as reserved for students with the most impairments, quote unquote, you know, the most um, needy students. And certainly those students do need transition services, but all students who have IEPs are entitled to them, including to prepare for college and various other things. And many districts still don't really understand that or embrace it. And even the evaluations that exist for transition services are antiquated in many ways because they don't really cover the wide range of students who might need transition services. And um, so it's not terribly unusual. We do hear that sort of um, commentary from people in other states when I speak and when Julie speaks at conferences nationally, uh, we will hear questions from parents that, you know, I I brought up transition services and the team didn't know what I was talking about. Or they say, we don't do that here. Mm -hmm. We don't do that here is another red flag, right, Julie? Yeah. And just to, you know, to um, specify what transition services are, in, in a nutshell, the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, wants all students who have disabilities to be successful in, as adults in three major areas, to be able to be employed, to be able to go on to post-secondary education, and to live independently to the maximum extent possible, and that's going to be different for every student, right? So those are the three main areas that we want to make sure that young, uh, students who have disabilities are skilled so that they can grow up, as ja- as Jen likes to say, to be taxpayers, right? Exactly. Uh, yes. pot, right? So, you know, Shannon, I just want to go back to something. We're, we're going between the law and the facts here, but that's okay. We're just, we're uh, running with it here. Um, you had mentioned to me that when you moved to Wisconsin and it was time for Jack to be reevaluated, Tell tell everybody what they said to you. Yes. um, So Jack was due for his triennial evaluation, I think, um, around his perhaps his freshman year. And um, we just sort of knowing the situation that we're in, I I gave them plenty of notice to say, you know, this is coming up in four months. Um, (laughs) (laughs) FYI. And the um, one of the special ed administrators said well you know triennial evaluations can be very be very stressful for mom Uh. and dad so it's sort of optional here yeah um well it it was not optional for me or for jack so um nor according to the federal law well right 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 and you know i find that school districts um have cultures and have um just uh you know uh, their own 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, let's just go with culture. They've they've got their own cultures, mm-hmm. and so it it when you walk into one of these school districts that you know Jen and I have a whole series that we do on um, urban legends, right? There are so many rules they follow that they've just been doing for so many years that they actually staff who works in these school districts who don't know any better think that's actually the law and it's not right and so they just keep perpetuating these untruths like well that's an option yes but it's not an option and just to be clear so a triennial for for the listeners is that the federal law requires that students who have ieps be reevaluated at least every three years it can be more frequently than that Um, but at least every three years the iep team is supposed to reevaluate a student's needs and the urban legend around that is that um, the only purpose of doing that is to determine eligibility to figure out whether the child continues to need an iep it's not the only purpose of it okay that is one of the purposes but what I hear is when I hear the same kinds of stories that you're telling us, Shannon and Jack, is teams that say, oh, they're very stressful. You don't want to pull him. We all know he's eligible for services. But that's not the only point. The point is also to get baseline and then a, another point of data to see where progress is, right? Jack, Jack's nodding. And to figure out what your needs are and whether they've changed. Because I'm sure you would agree with me, Jack. Your needs have changed dramatically over the years, right? Yes. And that's a good thing. So we need to know. We need to know by testing. And so um, we do hear those. um, The other thing we hear frequently is, um, you know, that we don't want to stress the student. We don't want to stress the parent. Or let's just do a records review. And that's just not sufficient. Um, And and one thing that, that the listeners should know if you are a student or the parent of a student or an educator interested in this is that for many students, adult services rely on the testing and in your enti- mm-hmm. the, that student's entitlement to get some services from the state later, mm-hmm. um, including accommodations and help with work and uh, employment and housing and various other things is often dependent on what the most recent testing shows. Uh, so you don't want to just waive it if you can avoid it. So let's go to the rewind. We went over the facts. We went over the law. Let's do the rewind. So the rewind is the portion of our episode where we talk about what could have been done differently, okay? And um, for the parent, for the student, for the educators, in a hope that by covering that, we can avoid these things happening again. So what could have been done differently? Well, certainly, um, I'm sure, because of the fact that it was a middle-of-the-year move, that was by not by design, because nobody likes to move in the middle of a school year, right? Yes. So obviously, had you had more time to plan, um, you and your mom could have maybe become more familiar with the system in Wisconsin, called and have more time to talk to them and all of those things. But the reality is you would have gotten there eventually anyway. Yeah. And, um, and probably would have had to do what you did, which is to educate the team that um, Jack has rights and that they have to follow the law. And so um, th- that's one thing. Another thing is that I, I think it, it, one thing that um, we can talk about is making the team members who are the regular ed teachers, like the one who is not happy with following the IEP, understand fundamentally their obligations and why they exist so that we can maybe have a a shift in the thinking for some of our educators that what is uh, fair is not always what is the same for students. And, you know, I find that attitudes are the hardest thing to change, right? We can't force people to think differently. But hopefully, Jack, through your experience, you changed that person. I did. 
right? You know, because I always say you can't change somebody else's behavior until you change your own, yes. right? And your mom did that when she went into Wisconsin and put in all those complaints and, and her behavior finally changed the attitudes of the folks on the team to say, I guess we better do this. And I, I, <laughs> I will actually say what was really interesting is that um, during our, our time there, the superintendent who had been attending all of our IP meetings. <laughs> that tells you a lot right there. Which is um, not the norm, by the no, way, no. folks. Um, I'm sure re- the superintendent doesn't attend everyone's IEP team. No, he actually retired mid mid. You wore him out. Our there, <laughs> and I saw him at a social event at some point after his retirement, and he actually came up to me and said, "You really pushed us. You really helped us to do better." Oh, and great. so I thought, "Wow, you know that um, that was very big of him to say." It, it was <laughs> after all that you know we had been through. Yeah. Um, somewhat contentious at times, but um, that's where. That's what our goal is always. Right. But to me, that's the ultimate compliment, right? It really it, it, is. It, it's not an I'm sorry. No. Um, but it, 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 it's a way to say you helped us be better, which I, I think is a really lovely compliment, quite frankly. And, and what that means, and I hope you both know this, is that because of what Jack went through and your mom in filing all those complaints, yeah. and I'm sure trying to bite her tongue from saying what she really <laughs> wanted to say at some of those meetings, is there are students in Wisconsin who are getting better services because of you. Nice. All right. Well, let's go to the verdict. You know, one of the first things I would say is, you know, think twice before moving. Um, You know, and on that note, you know, there are so many parent chat groups, if you will, on Facebook and everything now that I always say to people before they move, you know, you can go on to these these groups and ask people who live in the districts, you know, what's actually going on. Not always easy to do before you've actually moved someplace, but truly, I'm not, I I think sometimes we do have to be very contemplative about moving. No doubt. I I get phone calls at least once a month from families relocating or coming to Connecticut, and they're smart, and they call me, and they say, not not that I'm, you know, the person who has all the answers, but they're wise to, before they move, say which communities are and are not friendly to students who have disabilities. And the thing that parents need to understand is just because your school district is a good school district doesn't necessarily mean they have the culture that Julie was referring to that you want for students who have IEPs. And in fact, sometimes the some of the best school districts are some of our worst offenders in that regard because their focus is on a different population of student or they have an attitude about it. And you want to know that before you move. But what everyone should know is that, and I hear this and I see it on those those Facebook groups that you talk about, Julie, and the networking, is parents will say, I fought so hard to get to this point and now we have to move. Do I have to start this whole thing all over again? The answer is really no. Whether you move to to a different school district or whether you move to a different state, they have to follow the IEP. How they do go about that is a little different if, if you move from one state to the other versus one school district to the other. Within the same state. Within the same state. Thank you. Um, but they have to follow the IEP and they have to continue to provide comparable services. That's the bottom line. And, you know, the other verdict that I would say is be informed, like Shannon, as a parent, um, not all parents, uh, you know, go to the level that, again, I, I became an advocate because I had to advocate for my own child, just like you, Shannon. And not everyone goes to the level that we do, we have, where we become advocates. Um, and and you don't have to become an advocate, but you do need to be informed. You have to. You have to be. 
there's really just no it's not an option, option. you have to be right. yeah yeah so um well before we close up the file on jack and his road to independence and we're so glad to see <laughs> jack that you're on a wonderful road to independence i am wonderful um we want to ask all of the folks who were interviewing the same exact question and i'm going to start with you jack if there was one thing that you could change about special education, what would it be? Well, I would have to say um, if if people, if teachers specifically would advocate for their students more, that would be awesome. I love that. And do you know, Jack, here in Connecticut, Jen and I are part of a group called Special Education Equity for oh. Kids of Connecticut. Hmm. And when we started our, our uh, organization and we lobby um, for new laws um, at the state level, and the very first piece of legislation, Jack, that we put through that passed is what's called a teacher anti-retaliation bill. Hmm. And what that does is it... Um, supposedly, um, hopefully, um, that teachers can't be retaliated against for advocating for a student who has an, uh, an IEP at the IEP team meeting, right? And, and hopefully, you shouldn't have to have a bill for that. Yes. But Jack, you know, often there are other pressures, right, that put a lot of pressure on folks who work in school districts who um, may not be able to advocate f for students in the way that they'd like to. So I think it's one of, it's just such an important thing. And in fact, when we went through this legislation, we, f we found out that the number one complaint in the unions here in Connecticut, the teacher unions, was that they weren't able to advocate for their students without some sort of, you know, something else ha happening as a result of that. So I love that answer, Jack. Um, and Shannon? What would be the number one thing you'd change about special education? Well, I think that, um, you know, I've been saying this a lot lately for some reason, but I think that we should stop thinking, while there are, are, there are definitely concrete differences between the way we teach in special education or in general education, the more we, we divide those two things, the more opportunity we give to people to divide students that way. So if we are thinking about educating all students, you know, in a perfect world, there would be no special education right. because we are, we are focusing on the holistic approach to educating a student, period. Right. I believe they call that differentiated instruction, right? right? And how often <laughs> do we hear that when the school district has to provide a certain type of intervention because of a student in the class who requires it, many other students benefit from that instruction. Absolutely. So, I mean, we know this. We have science behind it. We have lots and lots and lots and lots of science behind and, it. And honestly, over the years, in, in I've heard this so many times. I've heard special education teachers say, you know, what we do is just good teaching, yeah. period. You know, and if we are supporting, to your point, if our, you know, a student who requires services has a paraprofessional in the class. That paraprofessional is beneficial to the teacher, to other students, to facilitating, you know, social interactions or, or whatever that person's role is. But there, there is mutual benefit. Right, right. So. Well, thank you for that aspirational. I um, know. Aim high. <laughs> Aim high. Why not? Shoot for the stars and fall among the clouds. <laughs> Jack, did you want to say something? 
kudos to my mom for always advocating for me. Oh, you're so cute. That's so good. And that just so everyone knows, that was totally unprompted. And I love that. I love that. I agree with you. And, you know, the, the biggest thing that we want everyone to take away, and Julie and I say this a lot, outcomes are so much better for children and students whose parents know their rights. Right. And so, and and you're proof of that. I like to say that there is a direct link between a parent's advocacy efforts and the outcome of their child. And clearly, Jack, you've got a powerhouse of a mother over here. And you're- I really do. And you're a powerhouse of a student. And Jack, you are going places on that road to your independence. And on that note, I'm gonna close the file on Jack and his road to independence. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome.